This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Every step is a step in the right direction because every moment brings about awareness, grounding, and opportunity. In her book, The Opportunity in Career, Dr. Katrina takes the reader through a thoughtful, researched, and step-by-step guide to cancer recovery. Her focus on moving beyond survival and transforming to thriving is a novel approach that is grounded in research and illustrated through the case studies. Valeria interviews Dr. Katrina Cox, She is the author of The Opportunity in Cancer, How to Radically Transform Your Cancer Recovery Journey. Dr. Katrina Cox is a naturopathic doctor, a lover of science, nature, and the human body. As a healthcare practitioner, she's passionate about observing, researching, and connecting with cancer survivors. Witnessing the inspirational journeys of her parents and patients have allowed her to see the opportunity that cancer presents to each of us. As the author of the international best-selling book, The Opportunity in Cancer, she hopes to bring awareness and a new framework to explore solutions to the many challenges that cancer survivors and their families face. Ultimately, her goal is to help survivors begin their recovery journey on their own terms, at their own speed, and in the comfort of their own homes. With over a decade of clinical experience as a naturopath doctor, Dr. Katrina Cox, MD, is dedicated to the patient experience and understanding how to combine the research we discover daily with a truly healing process. Meet Dr. Katrina at theopportunityincancer.com and cancerremissionmission.com. Here's the interview with Dr. Katrina Cox. In your own words, who is Katrina Cox? I am a mother, a healer, and a dedicated human that wants to connect with others on a level that is something bigger than myself. I feel that connection to others and their journeys and and being able to connect you know, as a human is really important. And that's part of the gifts that I've been given. Yeah, it's truly beautiful to me. I love the way you say that. I think I never heard this before, a dedicated human. Never heard it that way. In a sense of contribution, helping others to become more human or to know what that is. How did you come to this understanding or to this mission, this purpose? Part of that is experience, but part of that is also uh, the the connection that I've had. I mean, I'm very lucky. My profession allows me to sit with people from all kinds of different backgrounds, from all kinds of different experiences, 
they all have a story. And one of the things that makes an impression on me is how they live through their story, how they pick themselves up, how they, you know, dust themselves off and keep going. And and one of the things that makes us uniquely different on this planet is the fact that being human is to have a story. It is to live each day you know, to the fullest, to make choices and decisions, to heal things that have happened to us and truly work in that living, loving, listening space. And so the way that it came to me is that I realized that the thing that we have the most in common is not our skin color, not our background, not our language, not not our partnership. It's literally the fact that we're all human. Um, and that to me gave me a foundation to be able to sit with people and to be able to hear everyone's story and to be able to check judgment at the door, to truly be able to allow space for people to go through their own journeys and and see as though it's a partnership, not as a leadership. You know, that me pulling people through is not really what they need. Me sitting beside them and helping them see and getting to a point where they can connect with um, themselves is and, and get empowered is really how we get people to healing. Mm. Yes. What a beautiful answer to that question. <laughs> um, yes, I absolutely agree. The work of the teacher of a guide. And that's um, it's such a challenge for most of us. It is for me not to avoid telling others what to do, but just listen and others in the sense of people around me, my family members, especially, especially my husband. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's a, the biggest challenge. How do we learn to guide others, <laughs> but not tell them what to do? It is the work of listening. Isn't it, uh, Katrina? So three, the three L's. The three <laughs> L's that I talk about, it's about listening, it's about living, and it's about love, right? And so the way you're very right by saying, you know, the people closest to us are <laughs> yes. the hardest people. Right? <laughs> yes. Because, because they're the people that we are so invested in. We want to see them reach their potential. We want yes. to see them, you know, not struggle if it's our kids or, you know, our partners. And so really... That's a huge challenge for us. And so we are, live in a society where we don't put a lot of emphasis on listening and we don't always are capable of filtering what we're listening to and we're not able to actively listen. And, and that's a, that is a big thing because there's no way to love if you're not listening. There's no way to live if you're not listening. And so if you are listening, then you're able to actually, you know, provide what they need, which is partnership you know, and that gives, and then what ends up happening, and I say this to a lot of moms, right? There's a lot of moms that I work with, um, you know, because we sacrifice ourselves a lot in order to be able to give to our families and give to our partners. And, you know, and I say, it's important to hear what they're saying, but it's important to be listened to, right? And so setting boundaries to be able to provide for them is just as important. And so if you set an example by listening, living, and loving, then they will all get to your example. So true. I'm wondering if listening, it's part of, it comes with um, experience. For you, how did you start that journey, almost this, this practice of listening? Is that a practice? Is a realization? What is the process of getting to become a good listener? 
So the challenge for me was that I've, I've been working for more than a decade. Um, and in that, there's a lot of burnout because I, because I'm sitting with patients and because bad stuff is happening or challenging stuff is happening. And, you know, part of I can bring this back a little bit to one of the reasons why I wrote the book. This book is because there was this, this, this void and, at the beginning of my career, I was, uh, I'm a very emotional person and I carry a lot. I'm very empathetic. I, I carry a lot of compassion and empathy for others. And because of that, I was getting pushed around a lot, right? I was losing sleep. I was, I was, uh, there was so much that, that I felt like I had to find the right answer and I had to, you know, and if I wasn't, I wasn't performing for these people. And like, there was all of this, lack of self-worth and lack of self-confidence and lack of ability. And, 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 and in that, I also made choices in how I went about my practice that were not congruent with what my patients needed. You know, if, if you read my bio, you'll read about how I ran away from working in cancer at the beginning of my career. At the beginning of my career, I said, there's no way I can do that. That's way too emotional, way too much. There's way too much heaviness in this. And, and, and I knew enough at the time that I set that as a boundary, but eventually I realized that I can't be like that anymore. I can't, I can't be like that anymore because it isn't truly in, in congruent with who I am. And so I eventually ended up having to change my experience because my patients taught me there were patients that came into my practice and they taught me. And then I realized that as I moved on and went into my own self-healing journey, that I realized that one of the things that I can provide people is just a space for listening. It literally, I don't have to have the answers. All I have to do is be able to listen to them and then keep doing the experiential stuff and the answers will come. As long as the time is there and the, the venue is ripe, the answers will come. They're not, they're, they're not, you know, you just have to keep doing that listening and you have to keep doing that connecting. So it became a part of my own self-healing journey. And you're right. It became a part of my experience that, that I got there. But more importantly, it became the fact that I wanted very much to stay in this career. And in order to do that, I needed to find a different way to be able to perform for my patients. Yes. And that was that was the big driving force. It's I love um listening to people like yourself that come from this very genuine place. I love the way you, when you uh, describe yourself as an emotional person. That's interesting because a lot of women get to be, let's say, labeled um, not in a so good way, being too emotional. And yeah. the truth is that they're trying their best to help others. They feel, it's almost like they feel too much. <laughs> they absorb all those emotions, feelings, um, the energies around them. And uh, that's something that um, I have been learning myself to kind of balance because it's not, it's not always easy. And I talk to so many people in my, one of my my biggest practices, the area that I kind of focus on. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Katrina Cox and her work, please visit theopportunityincancer.com and cancerremissionmission.com. Do you have any spiritual belief systems or views of life in yourself, Katrina? Yeah, spirituality is a big piece um, because at the beginning when I was taught, we were always taught that it was body, mind, and spirit. 
or soul, and that you couldn't separate the three. And I felt at the beginning I was focused solely on the body in my practice. And the reason that that was was because it was the thing. It was the science. It was the thing right in front of me. It was the accepted thing to do. But as I started working in practice, I realized that the mind was very, very important. And I realized what my mind was struggling with. And so I started diving into that and and working on myself and putting in the those self-care pieces and really connecting with, you know, how those two things can't be separated. And as I've been going through all of this, I've struggled with my spirituality massively. Um, you know, I've had questions, I've questioned things, things have brought me to my knees. Trauma has really like, am I doing the right thing? You know, and and reality is that each time I question, I get stronger in my spirituality and in my faith. And I, I tell people that it is a connection that you need. It is a connect spiritually. You need a connection of some kind, whether it's, you know, whether it's, it's a very specific rigorous structure, you know, or whether it's something more universal. It, it really, for me, I have a foundation in spirituality that evolves um, based on experiences and connection. But I truly believe that there are things that we are not in control of and there are things that we can connect with, you know, and there are things that are bigger than us just as human beings. And that's where we have to we have to spend time getting to know ourselves and getting to know our own spirituality. And I, it was interesting. One of my mom's friends, when I started working in cancer care, she came to me and said, how do you, and she's a a psychologist. And she said, what are you doing to make sure? Because you're losing, you lose patience. This is not an easy world. And I said, I do three things. I spend time with animals. So I, I can't live in a house without a dog. Um, for me, because when I am truly brought to my knees from a, from an emotional standpoint or a sadness or a grief, uh, just going into the forest and taking my dog for a walk, getting licked in the face, it brings me to a place that I'm okay. So that's my first thing. My second thing is that I always have a ritual. When I, when I lose a patient or a patient passes, I always write a letter or I sit and say some words or, and I spend time with me and, and that, that person's soul, essentially what I believe that person's soul is to say what I need to say. And then the third thing is that I do, I do something spiritual. So whether, and whatever that calls, whatever's being called for me. So whether that's going to church or listening to praise music or whether it's out in the forest or whether it's meditating, you know, there's always something that brings that spirituality back um, into me. And so ultimately I, I truly believe that now that I'm, you know, almost 15 years into practice that you can't separate them. You have to be able to bring them all together. And, uh, and that's the only way that we can, truly heal ourselves as if we do that. Mm. Yes, absolutely. That resonates very much true, right? Bring all these pieces together if they are separate in the first place. (laughs) It really seems like they are not separate, but we have this perception that they are. Something you said that caught my attention. I love the way you say about the third piece on spiritual practice, whatever is being called, 
that or whatever is calling you to turn your attention toward. So that I thought about intuition. So that sounds like a very much uh, intuitive kind of, uh, you're being guided by your own intuition. Yeah. And another thing that caught my attention, you said so many things that I'm trying to keep notes here, <laughs> is um, the things we cannot control. What have you found, Katrina, as of this moment? What are the things that we cannot control from your perspective? Pretty much anything, right? All yeah, we have yes. <laughs> right, yeah. is literally how we respond or react to things, yeah. right? We have control over the decisions that we make that impact us. We don't have control over how other people feel. We don't have control over, you know, um, diagnoses and, and different things like that. What we do have control over, though, is how we live our life how we choose to connect with other human beings and and what our choices are in terms of decisions, right? So this is a thing that's really tough in cancer care because, and, and integrative cancer care or conventional cancer care, nobody has a magic ball, right? And so it doesn't matter what your training is, you can't tell people what's going to happen because all you're doing is playing the statistics, Right. And so if you say, you know, oh, the, the, you know, this is what's going to happen. I'm like, but it only happens 94% of the time. So that means you're saying that there's still a 6% chance that you don't know what's going to happen. And so although the odds are in your favor, right, the reality is you have to be aware of the fact that there's a 6% chance that this isn't going to work the way you want it to. And so ultimately, every single thing that we do in life you know, we don't have control over whether lightning comes down or we get in a snowstorm or the trees fall. What we do have control over is the decisions that we make and how and how we listen to our intuition, how we do right by ourselves, you know, whether we say yes or no, how we respond and react, you know, and that's the most important thing is looking inward. And so that's not really control, but also it's responsive, right? And so this is a really challenging thing. And, and I'm really glad you brought this up because one of the things that we talk about naturopathically about cancer is that it's a disease where people feel the most out of control. And so it actually, you know, like you said at the beginning, it can be one of the most challenging processes that people go through when they get diagnosed. And it, it feels out of control. Um, and so that's a big challenge for people to be able to to let that go, you know, and yeah. really focus on the things that they can do for themselves, the decisions that they can make. Yes, it's almost like choosing between love and fear. Yes. If life had, or if life has one purpose, one purpose only, what would that be? What comes to mind? Ooh. If life has one purpose. Yeah. Oh, I think it's to live it. Right. And so I would say a caveat to that is love. Right. But to really live life. So that's through experience, through connection, through love, through challenge, through perseverance, through growth, through change. Right. I, I think if there's one purpose in life, it's to live. And, and that can be just as easy to be the wanderer who wants to travel as well as the person who wants to, you know, live in a one hour radius. What it doesn't mean is to hide. 
right? So there's a lot of people who can't find their courage or their bravery. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you know, they're not able to fully live. And so right. they miss their purpose. Wow, that's a profound answer to that question. Um, it made me think about, so it's not just living in a sense of living everything, even if that also means hiding, escaping. What are you saying deeper than that? It's to have having the courage not to escape life, not to escape the experiences, but to embody them. And that's interesting because I remember doing a lot of, um, I had been through a lot of trauma in my when I was young. And I remember kind of using spirituality as a way to escape all the the horrors of life, <laughs> of yep. the experience of being a human. I remember doing that. And now it's not really, it's living everything, experiencing, engaging with, with the experience of being human, but without attachment. So there's a difference. There's a huge difference now between the way I was trying to deal with all this called life and now. And that's no different than a kid who plays video games and doesn't have friends. You know what I mean? Like there are so many different ways that people can do things. And sometimes we judge them based on what they are. Right. Mm -hmm. So we say one way is healthier than the other. But that's not true. Right. One way is just different than the other. Mm, Yeah. No judgments. That's another beautiful message from you. No judgments. Right. So when you say live, I'm I'm very curious about these things. Just live to experience this. So even if we get lost into the experience in the sense of going deeper into suffering, would you consider that also being courageous enough to to take on the whatever is present? Absolutely. You do. Yeah. The depth of things that we experience, the challenge that we're faced, I truly believe it doesn't matter if we go deeper, right? It's just a matter of making sure that we're making those choices. It's it's the respect. So there's 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 this level of respect of understanding for people, right? So there are two people, they get diagnosed very similarly with the same kind of cancer, let's say, right? And the diagnosis is grim. There's one person who makes life changes, who connects with people, you know, sets themselves up. And, and, and although at the end, right, they still pass away, they had this wonderful moments that they were experiencing for whatever time that is, six months, three months, 12 months, whatever. And then you have another person who hides, refuses treatment, doesn't want to see anybody, basically lives like a hermit and says, you know, just waits. For the day when it ends, essentially. And so those two people are examples. You can't judge how a person makes those choices. But if everyone believed that they could live, then you would have less people, you know, hiding, right? You'd have less people not connecting. And so it's okay sometimes to retreat, right? It's okay. And it's important because you can't be out there all the time, right? There are times when you just have to sit quietly and, and, and be inside, right? But there are also times where you have to look and make choices. And I don't criticize either person for their journey, and I don't judge them. But I also say, you know, if you can connect with the message of living, then you're going to choose whatever you're going to choose, but you're going to actually be able to live 
right? And so maybe that person who closed themselves in closes themselves in and doesn't want treatment, but maybe there's one person in the world that they want to, you know, reach out to or and that would be enough. That would that would be enough mm. for them to be able to say I've lived, yeah. you know? It's almost like sharing the experience because we are, we all connected. It really feels that way. There's no disconnection here. But it's uh it feels like the uh, when we have we make the choice of connecting deeper within the human experience, then it makes a huge difference. That's what I and that's what a lot of people call being human, just yeah. regardless of what's happening. I'm still connecting deeply with myself and others. You know, you made me think about unconditional love for those who choose to can embrace the challenge, uh, regardless of the, the intensity of that, and still connect with themselves and others. Do you see it the same way? Um, that's what came to me, unconditional love. It's almost like loving life regardless. Yeah. And that's why love and living and mm, listening yeah. are all in that circle. <laughs> yes. Right? Um, and, and then the center of it is the courage to do all three of those, because you can't live without love and you can't love without listening, right? And so you have to be a part of all of those. And when you are doing all of them simultaneously, you find your courage to be able to do each one of these things. So unconditional love means understanding, connection, curiosity, right? Asking questions so that you get to know somebody better yeah. instead of judging them based mm -hmm. on the decisions that they make. Yes, yes, that's what I love doing. I love asking questions. Sometimes I ask too many, to my husband especially, that's when <laughs> it doesn't work. Here it works, now with him. So I get myself in trouble too. Yeah, I have one more last uh, question for you, Katrina, about true healing and self-healing. Are they one and the same from your perspective? Yeah, so yes, because you can't have true healing without healing thyself. Right. And so yeah. self-healing is just a journey, right? Yeah. Um, and true healing is, mm. you know, what people are striving for. So they are on the spectrum. They are, they go hand in hand. I mean, I can't say that you would, I don't think that you would consider somebody true, truly healed unless they're working on self-healing as well. Yes, right. And the word healing kind of implies this continuity, Of, yeah. It's dynamic, isn't it? It's my heal from one thing, but there's always something that gets out of balance, per se. The body, at the level of the body or mind, there's always something. So I always see healing as this journey, as you said. You use the word journey, right? It's never really in there. There's no ending. It's not a straight line. Yeah, no destination, right, in a way. Yeah. A final yeah. destination. <laughs> so you wrote the book, The Opportunity in Cancer, How to Radically Transform Your Cancer Recovery Journey. Uh, the word journey here again, of course. So what was the main intention of writing this book, Katrina? The intention was to connect with a group of what I would consider lost people. A lot of people who go through the cancer journey, you know, after they've been through treatment and diagnosis and all this stuff, they turn around and go, okay, so now what? Yeah. And there's not a lot of focus on, you know, that recovery part. And a lot of people struggle. 
a lot of people struggle. They struggle to reconnect with themselves. They're, it's, they're in a totally new body. There's all kinds of thoughts that they've never had before. You know, there's, there's all kinds of, you know, there's disconnection with spirituality because there's so much fear in the cancer realm itself. And so I wrote this book for three reasons. One, so that people all over the globe could have an access to some system. They could read it and hopefully connect with the things that are being said, the thoughts, have have some way of taking those thoughts and turning them into something, you know, so that they have an act they can they can have a figure out where they start and 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 reconnect with their intuition and, and make choices. I also wrote it so that they would have a system of questions so that they could, you know, do right by themselves and not get overwhelmed by the massive quantity of information and all of the gurus that are out there that are saying things like there's nothing wrong with any single person trying to help another person. The key though is making sure that you're, you're connecting and partnering with the person that's right for you because it's not about being led to water. It's about partnership, right? It's about holding hands together and connecting. You're still an expert in your body. If we take that away from you, that you're not able to do that. And so I wanted to give people the capacity and the the awareness in the book to be able to ask questions to find the right partners. And then the third reason was is because a lot of people who go through this journey they don't have access. They don't they don't know where to start. They don't have access. And so one of my friends um moms had breast cancer a while back and she got to her five years she was in remission um and at year seven she actually took her own life and my girlfriend had been asking her to come see me for two to three years after she was into her remissive state and she kept saying no she didn't have enough money no she didn't you know she she didn't have enough time she she wasn't able to make and so my girlfriend said to me she knew that I had been thinking about writing a book and she said, I need you to write it because I think if I had been able to give it to my mom, that my mom would have been able to see and connect with you or have a set of skills to see what it was and realize that she wasn't alone, that that she wouldn't have been in the same place that she was. And so that really made sense to me because for $20, you know, you can hand it to a friend and then they can they can it can sit on their shelf and they can decide to pull it out and they can connect with any parts of it whether it's the body stuff whether it's the spiritual stuff whether it's the mind stuff but but really so that there was some place to start for all those people out there that are in this journey and and more importantly the people out there that are supporting those people in this journey because it is so confusing to be the support network to feel completely hopeless or helpless with this person and then go, well, they told us everything goes back to normal. And then you're looking at your partner or spouse or sister or whatever, and it's not normal, right? right? It doesn't yeah. feel normal. They don't look like the same person. They don't feel like the same person because they're not hmm. because the journey's changed. But how much better off would it be if those people in that support network would be able to understand better the journey? Hmm. And so the best way to get to those people is to have something written. Right. Wow. That's beautiful. I keep saying that word because that's how it comes to me every time as a vision. It's just beautiful what you're doing, the intention, which uh, 
which has a lot to do with the impact. Because a lot of times we have intentions that, like in my case, sometimes I talk to my husband, I have this beautiful intention to help him with whatever. But then the way he perceives the message, like telling him what to do, and then the impact is negative. <laughs> so it's a great intention, but not the impact is not. That's what I'm looking for these days. And then reading your book, I was trying to put myself in that position, like being diagnosed with cancer, which I, I do a lot of visualizations and reflections, deep reflections on death. And then I thought about what would really kind of in this book, from everything that's here in front of me, what would really make me, the mind, in, interested in reading the rest and going through the process? And then, the, of course, is what we've been talking about, that the section that you talk about, love, listen, love, and live. Love, of course, was the first word that caught my attention. But then as I read that section, that would get me started for sure. So that's really beautifully done, Katrina, I have to say. Yeah, I can't say, of course, I already do a lot of work, spiritual work and all that, but you know, we will never know, right, the way we'll, we'll um, respond in, in facing trauma because that's how what cancer is, a diagnosed, I would, I mean, that's what has been said and you talk about trauma too in your book. So we never know how we will uh, respond to those things, but it's clear to me now that that would get really me connecting with somebody like you or, or anyone who is delivering this message as a work. So thank you for being you. Thank you. And let's see. So the book, I have so many other sections here. It's very systematic because I know that you have done lots of research. And, and I love your bio because you say that. <laughs> uh, naturopathic doctor, lover of science, nature, and the human body. So that caught my attention and lover of science. <laughs> so, of course, you would bring all these um, the facts behind everything you say. And it's clearly there. So there's so much information. So let's see. Uh, one curiosity. I know you, the book uh, has the sections, I think it's five sections. Yep. With the steps. Um, they are release, uh, reclaim, restore, uh, renew and resilience. And you capitalize the E, the first E in every word. Why do you capitalize them? <laughs> because it's the base of energy. So mm. the key, so yeah. you're right, it is a very systematic thing. Huh. This, the, the, yeah. the one way to combat overwhelm is to have systems. And the way to present it to people when they're feeling overwhelmed is in some sort of systematic process. And so if you just write spirit or soul or spirituality, there's a large percentage of the population that isn't even there. Right. And they, and, and, and let me tell you, I love that you connected with that section the most, but when a patient has gone through what they've gone through, they're not thinking about that, you know, right. They're, they're at a place where they're physically exhausted Right. And because they've been through this this war, essentially, through treatment and through surgeries and radiations and and whether it's integrative or not, you know, to bring in natural things to support the body, there is a level of exhaustion that exists. And so the ease and the capitalization to that is to to be able to it's the restart, the re everything is re right. Yeah. And so the e really represents the energy piece. But it's that 
the 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 re part the re part is the thing that is the most connective right it's the renew it's the restore right and so and and that beginning part of the re is so important to be to be able to see it from that energetic perspective but to also you know see it as new right it's the renew it's it's not you know, it's not a new normal. I hate that. It's renewing who you are. Right. And so, you know, it's not about anything being new. It's about renewing. Right. It's not about, you know, stabilizing the body or, you know, it's about restoring the physiology. So, so it's this, the capitalize, the secondary capitalization of that second letter is really to represent the fact that you're not, you may feel lost, you may feel overwhelmed, but, and it's, and it's nothing, but it's not new. It's renew, right? It's, it's, you are in there. We can get you back to you. It may not look the exact same as it did before, but you will feel like you again. You will restore who you are in your physical body, right? And so it's, it's that, that is where the RE stands from because we are, we have a whole set of experiences that we've been through, including the trauma of, of the cancer journey. And so what we're doing is going back and, and finding those pieces and dusting off parts of the shelf and, and, can, and reconnecting those pieces. Mm, yes. Now it's very clear to me. Re-energizing. So in a way, it's like the bringing back the energy that was once there. It will be in a different way, a different kind of energy, but it's still it. Another thing that caught my attention when you talk about, I was kind of almost like imagining that that would be about spirituality, is the restore, section four, restore, you have the invisible ingredient. And then I was like looking for the spirituality piece, but very much is I see everything as spiritual. There's nothing that's not spiritual to me. So a breath work. Yeah, that's the invisible ingredient. And that's, uh, wow, that's such a fundamental one that we often forget, don't we, Katrina? To Absolutely. Especially in the 21st century. You know, it, it is it is the thing that gets forgotten the easiest. And you're right. You're looking for the spirituality. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> and, and, and then going, oh, wait, there is more spirituality in this because it's more important than we think, right? Yes. You know, so yes. it is so important, the oxygenation and, and, and what we get from breath. So, so I didn't even get to go into the spirituality connection of breath, right? The breath work, but, but. And and that's something probably, you know, people say, oh, now that you writ, wrote the first one, when will you write the second one? Mm-hmm. Like when I'm, you know, getting enough people out there and I'll be able to get into the depths of more of this stuff, you know, essentially. Yeah. And and just allowing people because this is the piece. This is my first book to the public. And so I want to connect at a different level for different people. You know, if if you're at a place where you just want to focus on, you know, the physiology part and the body part, great. There's an entire section in there on that, right? If you're a person that's like, okay, I got that. I know what I want to do. But what I'm what I'm hoping is that by having it all in one place, that eventually each piece will speak to every single person. And when that happens, then I get a little bit more freedom to be able to go, okay, so now let's talk about what else oxygen does for you, right? It's not only the invisible ingredient because it oxygenates ourselves, but it also brings us back into ourselves and we can talk about the spirituality components of it and you know all of the things that go along with it. Yes, right. And 
For me, I connected immediately with the breath work uh, technique as a technique, as a practice, because I know that at the foundation of what we call spirituality, which is getting to know oneself deeper um, and, and truthfully, is all about going back to that sense of calm and peace, inner peace. So that really helped. The practice of breath work is so important, and that's why it's part of meditation, too. And that and calm has to do a lot with energy and happiness. They are yeah. very much connected, all these. So another, um, there's another section. Here it is on, I'm all over the place, but section three, <laughs> reclaim, I'm going back. Uh, yeah. The gift of fear. You write, fear is not good or bad. It is simply an emotional state. That was, I think I took from the keynotes, the key takeaways. So we talked earlier about fear. Do you actually see that way in a practical way? Do you see that choice between love and fear? Is that clear for you, Katrina, or it is also a practice? It's a practice. It, I mean, some moments are very clear. You know, you can. I can see that I'm making decisions not from a place of love. And then there are other moments where it seems very muddled. The piece around fear for me is you're right absolutely it's it's not one thing or the other but what it what I in my practice what I've understood or what I've come to understand is that fear is literally an expectation of losing my values so when I am and so so I value human connection I value life I value you know being a mom I, there's all these things that I, I value my health when when we start seeing fear, especially when it starts ruling our thoughts, you know, what's happened is something's trampling on our value. So cancer is really good at this. A lot of us want to be healthy, right? And so, and or we think we are because we're doing our best to make those choices. And then all of a sudden we get a diagnosis and it tramples all over our thought processes about what our body can do and what our body can handle um, and, you know, a lot of people believe that there is a fear around cancer because we can't find the, the difficulty is with cancer is that it's not a cure all. We don't know exactly the pathology. Right. We it, it, it happens randomly. Why is it that, you know, we say that, for example, smoking causes cancer, but there's still 20 percent of people who could smoke their whole life and never get cancer. Right. And so we can't say it's causation because there's still a large percentage of the population who that will never happen. And so the reason that we struggle with this disease is because it's so individual. These cells come from us and then they, then they alter and they alter again. And so because it's not one single pathology, we have this problem with being able to be like, boom, that's how we're going to get rid of it. And so this is where fear comes in, in, in the cancer journey itself. Because it's we're used to it being so cut and dry and black and white, and there's a whole bunch of epigenetics and genetics and uh, metabolism and, and and you know internal mitochondrial structure. So much of that other stuff that comes into it. Well, even more than that, there's also thoughts that come into it. So the the purpose of the reclaiming chapter, especially about the fear, is to actually see what our fear is giving us. That's why I named chapter the gift of. Because if you aren't afraid of anything, then either you're lying to yourself. 
To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org/podcast. Thank you again for listening, and bye for understanding what it is. The gift is to understand, right? What fear is coming. And if we know that, then we can sit in love and let it go. So it goes back to the message of listening by understanding listening. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I have, you know, we hear so many things. Um, fear, it's something that uh, it has, it's became this, what's, I don't even have a word for it because it's everywhere. Almost all human, almost, we cannot say everyone, of course, fear something.